We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Cash Considerations Podcast, a Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm with Jason Pat and Jason, we have some exciting podcast news to announce today. Yes, we do. We would love to announce that we are joining the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Shout out to Kevin Jones bringing us on, giving us this big opportunity. There's a bunch of other fun pods, part of this, this growing network, and there will be more to come hopefully. There's, I know there's good Warriors pods, Cavs pods, and some really good dudes. So it's, this should be a lot of fun. Really excited about this opportunity. Yeah, Jason and I are just going to keep doing the same thing we've been doing through the first, what, 11 or 12 episodes of this podcast. Uh, But hopefully this will help us, you know, reach more people and uh, maybe have a little cleaner sound. All the same good stuff you have come to expect from the Cash Considerations podcast, which is mostly me swearing and like crying on air. Uh, That's still going to happen. But now this time we're going to have like a little bit of juice behind us, a little bit of support. It's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. So I guess uh, I guess this is all also our first pod after the Christmas holidays. We've been off a little bit because of that. Uh, and the Bulls have played, I believe, four games since we uh, potted last after that Thunder debacle and the fight and all the road dog and all that stuff. They are two and two. They did actually go on their first winning streak. Uh, the first game after the Thunder game, they lost an ugly one against the Nets. It was a home game. It was a game they probably should have won. I think the Nets, although the Nets have been much better lately, it was low scoring. The Nets were on the second of a back-to-back. They just beaten the Lakers. But uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, former Bull, who the Bulls, I believe, cut twice or some crap like that. I believe they, for like to make room for Michael Carter-Williams. Spencer Dinwiddie was the hero in that one. Huge game. As much as it, the Bulls should have won, it was also kind of nice to see Spencer Dinwiddie stick it to them. I feel like he's done that multiple times already in his career. And then after that, the Bulls, like I said, two-game winning streak. Their first winning streak of the year. Games that they really should were expected to win, and they did take care of business. They beat the Magic in a, another another ugly game that's been kind of a theme of the Bulls. They've been, especially under Jim Boylan, really uglying it up. Dirty game, 90-80. to 80. I guess the only really good thing about that game was that Larry Markin went absolutely insane. After a really slow start, I believe he started something like 1 of 7 from the field. He ended up with 32 points on like 12 of 20 shooting, so he finished really hot. And that carried over to the next game when the Bulls just beat the Cavs' ass, and the Cavs are just absolutely terrible. Like The Bulls are bad. The Cavs are even worse. That was a 112-92 victory. Markin again went off his first thirty uh, back-to-back 30-point games of his career. He had 31 in that game, just 
shooting from all over the floor, pick and roll, hitting tough mid-range shots. He shot 11 of 18 in that game. The Bulls just kind of took over that game in the second half, uh, dominated 58-33 to in the second half after the Cavs played pretty well in the first half, and it just kind of fell apart. But then I think the game that most people were excited about over the last over this last week was the Bulls' pass game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Very emotional, big reunion. Derrick Rose back, Tibbs back, Luol Dang back, Taj Gibson back. And the Bulls' winning streak came to an end. The Timberwolves, Derrick Rose beat the hell out of the Bulls, 119-94. to D. Rose had a huge game. He uh, really took it to Chris Dunn, just kind of took it to everybody. He got MVP chance, all that fun stuff. What, what was going through your mind watching Derrick Rose just kind of live it up like it was 2011 again? Yeah, I think that, you know, Rose is probably going to win sixth man of the year this year, which is pretty amazing. I don't really think he deserves it. I think Montrez Harrell should probably be the sixth man of the year, but we know that award typically goes to someone who has the most points per game. Rose averaging nearly 19 points per game now. His numbers across the board are really remarkable. Uh, he's got a 20 PER, a 19.8 PER. He's averaging 18.7 points a game, 4.7 assists, 2.8 rebounds. He's shooting 49% from the field and 45.5% from three-point range on 3.3 attempts per game. So basically, the big improvement for Rose is the three-point shooting. We've seen that uh, you know, throughout the start to this season. He's just been on fire from three, particularly in November. In November, he hit 56% of his threes, which is just wild. He came back down to earth a little bit. Uh, This month in December, only 37%. He was only one of five for three against the Bulls. But instead, what you saw, you know, it's such a cliche to say vintage D-Rose, but he did have so many moves in that Bulls game that reminded you of the player who won MVP in 2011. Uh, Just that first little shake and bake move he had in the first quarter where he threw up the floater as he was like, drifting behind the backboard that was straight nasty i mean rose has really revitalized his career and it's pretty remarkable i i get nervous even talking about d rose because of everything that's happened with him off the court i think that those who have followed uh my work for a while and not just recently uh you know remember how much i used to love derrick rose and you know certainly it's it's just been become complicated i guess by everything that's happened since then so uh, but Rose is playing well, uh, and you know the, the Wolves. I don't think are going to make the playoffs. The West is just super competitive. Uh, the Suns are the only team in the West that that isn't really gunning for the playoffs this season. But you know, D Rose is going to be in the thick of things uh, throughout this season. Like this storyline isn't going away. I would say D Rose. This D Rose revival is here to stay. Yeah, the you mentioned the complicated part for sure. Obviously, there was the whole sexual assault rape case, which does make it a super complicated. I feel like that just kind of always gets glossed over when talking about D. Rose's revitalization on the court, which has been amazing. I I thought he could still be like a, a solid six man. I did not think he would ever be this efficient again. He's playing a little bit, bit better on the defensive end. And just like, and like I said, all that acrobatic stuff, like he's finally been mostly healthy and he's been able to do it. Like you said, like my feelings are definitely conflicted. I try, I don't like go out of my way to like really praise him. It's just, it's just really hard because I was right there with you. I will never, I will never tweet about Derrick Rose. That's just over, man. It's just like, it's just not worth it. You know what I mean? It just doesn't matter. He has such a strong and rabid fan base still that just like that because of whatever he got, he did not get convicted. He was totally, totally acquitted. That just like throw it by the wayside. But it's it just really hard to do that. It is just so complicated. It's like you mentioned, like he was meant so much 
to just to us as fans growing up back in, in the 2011, 2010, 2011 season when there was good. And to give a shout out to Darnell Mayberry, the athletic, he did a, an, like a 10,000 word oral history of that 2010, 2011 season, which just like brought the city to life. The fans loved that team there. I mean, there's still, these guys are still really close. And obviously Rose was the youngest league MVP. Like it was incredible to read that. And just like, it makes you really nostalgic for those days. But then when you think about the other stuff and all the off, off the court stuff of the Rose, it just makes it such a complicated, complicated thing. And he's got such a strong fan base. So we're like anything you say about him, you're going to be <laughs> taking heat from everywhere. Like it's obviously like, maybe we should be stronger in our convictions and really speak out more. But it's, like I said, just complicated is the best way to put it. And it, it, it was, it was just, it was, it was really interesting to watch that just that whole scene at the United center, and especially with the MVP chance in the fourth quarter. I thought it was kind of, it was kind of amusing when that was happening. Like Rose had a really tough finish going to the line MVP chance. He's smiling the entire time. Neil and Stacy aren't even, they weren't even acknowledging it at all. They were laughing about Frank Thomas or some shit like that. And like, I don't know if that was on purpose. They just like were told like not to really like bring like really go like all in on some like Rose rehab story. But it was just it was kind of it was kind of surreal as he's getting these MVP chants. The Bulls announcers are like talking about Frank Thomas and like some like thing that wasn't even <laughs> like relative to the game during a huge blowout. You know, it was good to see Taj in that game too. How about Taj hitting a three? How many threes did Taj hit for the Bulls? I don't have the numbers in front of me but I'm gonna pull them up because I do not remember very many Taj Gibson three-pointers for his career it seems like Taj has hit let's see he hit two he hit three career three-pointers on the Bulls (laughs) yeah you well you mentioned that it's funny because I feel like every year with the Bulls he talked about adding a three-pointer and then it never happened but now he's been taking a few more with the Timberwolves and I feel like that just kind of and that three, he hit that three, I believe, right at the end of the fourth quarter. I stopped watching, like, after the Rose MVP chance. I think that was basically, like, the cherry on top of the game just to completely finish off the beatdown. And it was just kind of kind of nice nice for him to do that. Yeah, but he's – I mean, Taj – we all love Taj. Taj, Taj had a great story – mentioned a story about uh, before the game that he – like, that some, like, random truck driver here, like, mentioned, like saw him, recognized him, conked his horn, and they like they just had like a random conversation, just like Taj Gibson and some Chicago truck driver. And like Bulls fans love Taj Gibson. He loved he loved Chicago. He was such an important part of their identity for so many years. So it was great to see him again. And you mentioned other guys like Lou Aldang was a huge part of the identity. I know he doesn't play as much anymore. He's kind of over the hill, but it's nice to see him back as well. And just like all those guys, just like I said, it just brings back some of that nostalgia for that 2010-2011 team. Like I said, if you have not read that on The Athletic, Darnell Mayberry's long oral history of that team, like you had comments, you had quotes from like uh, Ronnie Brewer, like Brian Scalabrini. They were talking about Keith Bogans and apparently Kurt Thomas used to always shit on Keith Bogans. And there, there were just a lot of like really, just, a lot of fun anecdotes in there. Just a really fun read before just a ter- a ter- another terrible Bulls loss. <laughs> Dude, that story was so unbelievably good. I could have block quoted the entire story basically on Twitter. I'm going to read off a few sections for those of you who uh, who don't have The Athletic, who haven't checked out that story. And seriously, you should check it out. Uh, the Athletic is a site worth subscribing to. And, you know, Darnell also had a great story on Bobby Portis giving his mom a home on Mother's Day. I don't know if you saw that. Darnell's killing it on the Bulls beat recently. He's also a really good guy. So uh, shout out to Darnell. You could actually listen to Darnell talk about that oral history of the 2011 Bulls on the Bulls HQ podcast with her boy Mark in Australia. 
Uh, that episode dropped yesterday, so be sure to check out the Bulls HQ podcast. Mark does a great job with that. I always give Mark a shout-out because he's grinding, he's killing it on the Bulls beat, and we need the coverage uh, for this team, and we need people holding them accountable. But uh, back to Darnell's story, here's just a few choice quotes. This one's from Brian Scalabrini. What I remember most about Keith Bogans is Kurt Thomas always making fun of him. Scalabrini again. I saw him in Dallas this season while calling games. He comes up to me and out of nowhere, he didn't even say hello. He roasts Keith Bogans. Quote, I saw Keith the other day. He's in better shape now than he was when he was starting two guard for 82 games. And then he just kept walking, like kept it moving. Uh, so that was great. And then we have another Kurt Thomas comment from Taj Gibson. Taj says, Kurt Thomas was solid. I love playing with Kurt. I learned so much from him. Everyone learned so much from him. He was the type of veteran who could go out, literally go to the club, come in the very next day, be the oldest guy in the gym and give you the most effort and still do his job. Some games, his jumper was on and right when we needed him. Uh Kurt Thomas just sounds hilarious. I would love to go to the club with Kurt Thomas. I would not want to catch a forearm shiver from Kurt Thomas, as LeBron once did. Who could forget that when they were playing the Heat? Kurt Thomas just shacked LeBron at half court uh, during LeBron's Heat heyday. So that was really great. And then there's one more long Scalabrini quote that I'm going to read, just because I thought it was funny. I was not a big Scalabrini guy. Uh, During those days, I thought that it was kind of ridiculous that the fans liked him just because he was white. Uh, with that being said, Scalabrini has given some great quotes on that Bulls team over the years. So if you sort of like, you know, peel back the reason for why Scalabrini was so popular in the first place, he is a pretty likable character. This is a long passage from Scalabrini talking about the 2011 Bulls. Uh, I'm going to read it in full. Scalabrini says, quote, you know what's unique about that team? There's an element of all the personalities. Think about it. You have Derrick Rose to me. If you are a kid from the inner city and you hoop, if you are a little white kid growing up in the suburbs, you want to grow up and be like Derrick Rose. Just think of that population. Then you have Joe Kim Noah, how different he was when you look at his personality. It's like this, quote, I don't care. I'm going to wear these clothes. I've got my wild hair. I'm just out here. And it's almost probably along the same lines as the Dennis Rodman population back in the 90s, where it's just all the wild people in the world just love Joe Kim Noah. Another one, I think, would be Kyle Korver in his little mix. He kind of looks like Justin Bieber, and all the teenage girls think he's cool with his hair and all this stuff. (laughs) And then you have me for all the middle-aged white men living in the basement of their mom's house trying to make it in life. You had Luol Deng with his connection to Africa. I mean, you go on and on. There are so many different demographics on one team. And then you add in the coach. Everyone who loves Bill Belichick and the hard-nosed coach from back in the day could associate with Tibbs. I really felt like we were America's team for that season. Well, goddamn, Scalabrini, that that just nailed it. I guess. Yeah, it was just and just there were so many other. Like I said, we could go all day about like reading quotes from this. We won't we won't do that. But like I said, go read that. There was yeah, just a lot of but how that team was just like so close together. How they would all go out together, whether they were at home or on the road. Taj Gibson had some quote about like them pulling all nighters all the time, like just like some going out to the clubs together and doing all that stuff. And at the end, I think I can't remember who it was had the quote about just like how they still like talk to each other, how they're still some of these guys still hang out with each other and are still like really close. You just tell just like how close all those guys were. I mean, you can tell it on the floor as well. They they played defense as a group together. Obviously, Rose was the main guy in offense, and just like it was, it was just such a fun team to root for. And it's like. That's what we're trying to get back to. Like, we want a team that we can root like so easy for like that again. And right now, it's it's not not nearly as easy to do that with a team that's really struggling to find any type of cohesion on the court or any type of chemistry. 
and I guess I'll use that to go into a about a, about this young team chemistry and all that stuff. The Bulls did get Zach Levine back from injury, five game absence with an ankle injury. So finally getting back, he did come off the bench, but giving more time for the the Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, Lowry Markkinen. You can also talk and toss in Wendell Carter Jr. But especially those main three guys from the Butler trade. There's been a lot made about how those guys have really struggled together and the li- limited minutes they've had. They only played 255 minutes together last year, and they were bad. They've only played a, like a handful of minutes this year, and they've also been bad. But moving forward, now with Levine back, with the, the main guys of the young core back, the Bulls really need to get this, this chemistry thing down with these guys. They need to figure out how to play offense together because it has been really, really bad. I think they played like 10, 11 minutes against the Timberwolves together. They had an offensive rating of like 71 or 72. That's what the offensive rating with these guys is all season with those three together. And like, that just shouldn't be happening. I mean, you know it's going to be tough with some of these guys with the way they play. We've talked about this before in terms of Chris Dunn and Zach Levine having some issues in terms of both being ball-dominant, Chris Dunn not being a, an off-the-ball threat, and then Lowry just kind of sometimes getting lost in the shuffle with those two guys dominating the ball. Starting tonight with the Wizards, I believe this is going to be their first game. They start together all season. We're going to need to see them really come together and try to find some of that chemistry over the course of the rest of the season because if they can't do that, this re- this rebuild is going to be going nowhere. Yeah, and you know I do think that Markinen's play recently has definitely been a bright spot. He had the back-to-back 30-point games, dropping 32 on Orlando in a win, and then 31 on Cleveland. He was really good in both of those games, especially – uh, against the Cavs, against the Magic, he went 12 of 20, finished with 32 points, also had six boards, hit four of six from three, and then against the Cavs, 11 of 18, 31 points, five of 10 from three. We actually have a little bit of a sample size for Markkinen now. He's played in every game in December, uh, and here are his numbers. He's averaging 30 minutes a game, 17.4 points per game, only shooting 43% from the field, but he's taking 6.8 attempts per game from three, hitting 39%. He's also making 85% of his free throws, but he's not really getting to the line. He's only getting uh, 2.3 attempts per game from the foul line. So uh, to me, Markinen, he's got flamethrower scoring ability. There's no doubt about it. I love the fact that he continues to increase his volume from three-point range. Larry Markinen should be taking seven threes a game at minimum. So it's good to see. I think he should be taking more. Like there's like no like right now, like like you said, minimum. He should be at like seven. He should be backing up. He's like, like you mentioned, he's not his overall three point per, or his overall field goal percentage isn't that great. He's still a bit, still a bit rusty in terms of like off the dribble stuff. And like, I'd rather him just jacking, like running whatever, getting open three pointers, jacking threes in transition, than whatever taking a bunch of like tough shots off the dribble. Obviously, that's a part of his game that we'll have to develop, and we'll need to see it. And he'll need to get to the line more, like you mentioned. But like, really, with his shooting ability, he should be taking seven, eight, nine threes a game. I feel like, and, and that should that should be just like easy, easy. Yeah, he took 13 in a, in the game against the Pacers uh, at the beginning of the month. So, yeah, Markkinen, like Markkinen's ceiling, there's been some some discussion on Bulls Twitter recently about Markkinen's ceiling. We should really have our boy Kevin Farrigan, NBA Couchside on Twitter, come on the podcast and talk about this. He has sort of been lower on Markkinen than a lot of Bulls fans, basically pointing to the fact that Markkinen – uh, doesn't offer much playmaking as someone who's going to have the ball in his hands quite a bit. He doesn't get to the line much. And you remember the stat from last year that Markkinen had like the lowest block rate of any seven-footer in NBA history, I think it was. So, you know, he's still someone who isn't going to make a huge impact on the defensive side of the ball. He has had some good rebounding games, and on the defensive end of rebounding especially, 
was uh, he was better than the scouting report entering college. In college, he was not a good rebounder. He rebounded well as a rookie. A lot of that was because Robin Lopez was clearing guys out, being a selfless teammate, allowing Markinen to come in and swoop up the board. Uh, so that's going to be something to look at as Markinen continues to get older. It's like, what is his role? Is he really just a floor spacer? Is he someone who is like a super version of a role player? Or is this a guy who could be a top... 30 NBA player. There's some Bulls fans who think he can be a top 10 NBA player. Uh, obviously, when you have a seven-footer with that type of pure stroke, that's going to be just so valuable regardless of if he ends up being like a legitimate all-star candidate, a superstar candidate maybe, or someone who's just sort of elevating the talents of everyone else around him. Uh, but Markins had some good games. And, you know, if you watch the highlights versus Orlando versus Cleveland, I mean, the dude was nasty. He was on fire in those games. So that was really fun to see. Now it really comes back to the fact, like, how can Levine and Markinen play off each other? How can Carver and Markinen play off each other? How can Levine and Dunn play off each other? These are the questions with the Bulls moving forward. And I think, you know, Markinen's going to be here. Carter's going to be here. So your front court is taken care of. Levine under contract, obviously there's a lot of, uh, like, Levine's just a polarizing player. You know, like, everyone knows that who's listening to this podcast. But I would say that, you know, Levine's going to be around and that Dunn is the guy who might not be around. Like maybe you get more of a three and D point guard in that role. Maybe the Bulls draft John Morant if they have, uh, you know, the fourth or fifth or sixth pick in the draft. He's a point guard from Murray State this year who's a dynamic athlete, great passer, can't really shoot. So I wonder about the fit struggles there too. But, you know, Markkanen's the guy. And I think that, you know, I, that's what I've been interested in since he's come back uh, is how the Bulls are using him under Jim Boylan, how he's playing off the rest of his teammates. And of course, this offense has just been straight fucking dog shit since Boylan took over. Yeah, I mean, it was bad before as well. Obviously, there were all, all the injuries with Mark in and out. It was bad for you do mention the thing about how Levine is polarizing. I feel like I've kind of mentioned that like or I've kind of noticed that, especially like my mentions and was like Dunn and Markin have had some time to get a little chemistry and we saw a few some nice things when they against the Cavs and like Dunn has played relatively well. He still have some real skepticism about him because he doesn't shoot threes. He doesn't like, I think he's taken like, I tweeted this the other day. He's taken like nine threes since he's come back in like eight games. Like he's basically taking like a three a game, which is way too low. Doesn't get to the line, but those two have built some chemistry together. It's just that when it's all three of them together, they've, they kind of struggled. I mean, some have considered the Levine came off the bench against the Wolves and played really well individually at a really nice individual, individual game. Some people think Levine, his best role maybe is as like a supercharged six-man scoring guy, and maybe he shouldn't be like a the go-to all like all-star type number one option. But yeah, I feel like I've noticed a lot of people just like have kind of mentioned that like, oh look, Levine comes back, he's only trying out, he's only looking out to get his, he ruins like ruins the offense. I I really can't go there yet. He's obviously such a talented player, and like you mentioned, the Bulls' offense is just like so bad in general. That, I mean, they I think they still need like a scoring. It's just a matter of giving this young core time to find that chemistry and like they they need that time like I know both fans can be impatient but like they really have had so little time together on the court where it's not that big of a surprise that they've struggled a bit I feel like the degree of their struggles has been probably a little surprising just how bad they've been I think looking back on like the numbers that they've had together I mentioned in like 30 like whatever the minutes they've had this year it's like a 70 offensive rating last year it was like a 96 offensive rating so like that's really bad stuff but again, like the Bulls in, in general have been a terrible offense. And you mentioned like under Boylan, how it has just been kind of a chore to watch them play. Again, they've Levine missed some of these games. 
But even in like some some of the games they won, the Magic game was was absolutely brutal. Like that Spurs comeback, the offense was just okay, and that was mostly like a defensive thing. And the Spurs falling apart, like I mean, they they did kill the Cavs. They were super efficient in that game. I think they had something like a one twenty offensive rating in that game. But the Cavs are also historically bad defensive team. The Cavs have like a one fifteen D rating. So like if you don't kill the Cavs, that's that's really bad. So just bringing up the the numbers under Boyle and just kind of the general style of play. While the Bulls were not good either under Hoiberg, I just feel like it's been even getting worse. And just like the the whole aesthetic has been getting worse. Like Boylan has been preaching just like a slow it down. Like just really like I think I think we mentioned this before about how guys will even like look at Boylan and be like and like hesitate. Instead of pushing the pace, like they'll slow it down instead. So I, I wrote a thing for Forbes this morning. Just looking at some of the numbers, the Bulls are dead last in offensive rating under Boylan. They're dead last in three-point attempts. They're dead last in uh free throw attempts. They're towards the bottom of the league in second chance points, fast break points. They're towards the bottom of the league in pace. I think they're like they're 26 in the league in pace since Boylan took over. So like all these numbers there and they're not getting many shots at the rim. They're taking a decent amount of shots from mid-range even though they're not that good at them. They're taking a lot of shots at the end of the shot clock. They are they have been converting an okay rate on those tough shots in the shot clock at least relative to other teams, but it's still like when you're taking you don't want to be taking a bunch of long two pointers or whatever at the end of the shot clock. That's just not a good way to run offense. So like, I feel like that's just not the way I know. And again, call, uh, shouting out Darnell Mayberry. He mentioned this after the Wolves game, like while like instilling this new, whatever defensive identity, grit road dog thing is like great and all. And like that, that should be a thing for like a young team to help them like learn defensive principles, how to play hard every night. It really isn't that worth it if you're running an antiquated offensive system that is that doesn't that isn't taking advantage of like the talented offensive players you have. Like I feel like this team with 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 Levine back with Dunn, they're like those are guys who should be able to push pace, excel in transition. Lowry should be getting open transition threes. Like take advantage of that skill set. Wendell's a young guy. Get out and run. Like, I mean, well, the Bulls are like the most athletic team in the league, but they're a young team with some guys who can make who can make hay in transition. Like they need to take advantage of that. Instead of just the constant slow bringing the ball up the court, getting it over half court with six at sixteen seventeen seconds, and taking all these shots at the end of the shot clock, they they need to let Boylan needs to get let these guys loose a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. Uh, I've been super hard on Boylan. I think Boylan sucks. I want no part of anything that has to do with Jim Boylan coaching the Bulls. Uh, but he has been the coach for ten games now, and they are four and six over that stretch. Eleven. 11 games. games, okay. So four, four, and so four and seven, all right. Then I screwed that up. But uh, then maybe all my <laughs> stats are slightly off. But anyways, their their defense has been really good since Boylan took over. I had them at number 11 in efficiency. It's, yeah, it's a, it's around. They have been legitimately legitimately better. I'm still not sure like how legit that improvement is. Like The couple games against the Magic really helped. Like The the Cavs game really helped. Like this, They also had the Celtics game, though, during that stretch, which which one the other you know right that's what i'm saying well that's what i'm saying like it kind of evens out i guess but like in some of these games against the actual like good competition like they got absolutely throttled by the wolves the thunder beat their ass once they did beat the thunder in another game that was was the offense actually did have a nice game that game and the thunder were like i think the end of a end of a road trip the the uh what was the other game the celtics obviously beat their ass and then like the spurs game they were getting their ass beat and then the spurs fell apart you could definitely give the Bulls some credit there for keeping the foot on the gas pedal and playing hard defense. I'm and the Spurs have been playing really well in general lately. I'm still just not sure. Like they heavy, they obviously have improved defensively somewhat. They're playing a bit harder. I think it also helped that Levine was out and that Jabari Parker has been completely 
ripped out of the rotation. Like and Cameron Payne hasn't been playing as much. So like they're playing more Shaq Harrison, more Archie Diacono, guys that are actually more defensive players. I feel like has also helped. So like I'm not sure like how much better they actually are overall defensively. Maybe slightly better, but like if that if the, like a marginal improvement on defense comes with like no development and just a bad antiquated offense, I I. It's not that exciting to get, or not something to get that excited about. Yeah, I think Fred Hoiberg would have loved to coach a defense that didn't have Jabari Parker and Zach Levine in it. So, uh, you know, you can immediately draw that connection. Also, Shaq Harrison is just a beast on defense, dude. Like, I don't know. Would you say he's a bigger keeper than Archie Diakno? I guess it doesn't really matter ultimately because they're just fringe uh, NBA players. But he he has he has some legitimate skill on defense. I mean, he's a monster on defense, straight up. I wanted to ask you this. Maybe I'm going a little off topic here. Levine versus Dunn. If you could only keep one, knowing you have to pay Dunn, you don't know what that contract is going to be yet. Which one are you keeping? I don't. I've. I've. I feel like I had this conversation before. Uh, Jesus. Honestly, I don't. I don't know. Just was. It's like it's so tough because like Dunn. I feel like is at at worst he's a solid two way player. I guess I would possibly lean towards him just because of the two-way aspect like we talk about how the bulls like don't have enough two-way players and like as good of a score as levine is and just like the potential that he has like i feel like levine still has more overall potential but like right now based on what i've seen i i might lean towards dunn what what pulls me away from dunn is just the complete lack of interest in shooting three pointers and getting to the line like while he does he's been shooting great from mid-range and like he's been convert, like I said, he's been converting pretty well. Like if his offense is going to be based on him hitting a bunch of floaters and like mid range shots, and like that's basically what his efficiency is going to be based on. I feel like I mentioned this before. Like that's just not that great. Like I feel like that tops out as like a a good bench guard and like maybe a lower end starting point guard. While like Levine is probably with this scoring alone is maybe a borderline all-star player, but like if he doesn't impact the game positively in other ways, like it's, it's almost just like really, it's still like really hard to say just because we haven't seen these guys have still such major flaws where it's, it's, it's tough for me to say, do you have, do you have a strong opinion either way on this? I'm like taking a coward's way out here, but like kind of being wishy-washy on this, but what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, the advanced stats favor Dunn. If you look, Dunn has more win shares per 48, which win shares are cumulative, so that's all you could really judge it on right now because Dunn's missed most of the season. Uh, And obviously defensively, Dunn is really good. I would still take Levine over Dunn because the thing is that Chris Dunn, I don't – like you called him a two-way player. I don't know if he's a two-way player because his offense kind of sucks. Yeah, I guess I guess I guess that's still theoretical at this point. I guess he has more potential to be a two-way player than Levine at this point. Like, and if you think Levine's defense is a lost cause, I guess like is, will his offense ever make up for it? Maybe. And I guess, yeah, I mean, you, but you mentioned though, like Dunn is still kind of an average offensive player at best. Like his, you look at his PER is like still around average because he and his true shooting percentage I think is slightly below average even like he's shooting like a really solid percentage overall in terms of field goal percentage but because he doesn't shoot threes and doesn't shoot them well because he doesn't shoot free throws and doesn't shoot those that great either like the overall efficiency just is not there and like I guess for a starting point guard in this league a guy who just doesn't shoot that many threes at all and doesn't do much besides like shoot mid-range jays and like it's only like a decent uh, distributor playmaker like he's shown some nice things he's had some nice lobs to Wend- Wendell Carter Jr. in that Timberwolves game he does some nice things there in terms of playmaking but I wouldn't call him like an elite playmaker or anything like that like 
feel like the, the lack of shooting just it definitely brings him down a lot. Yeah, so I'm taking Levine on this for the reason that I think that Levine could play a more critical role on a good team. So even though the advanced stats do favor Dunn a little bit, it's like Dunn really can't play off the ball at all because he's just miserable at shooting. So if he's going to play on the ball, like he's not good enough to be the guy on the ball for an elite team. Like if you look at the offensive initiators in this league, he's in like the James Harden role where he's not 10% as good as James Harden. So yeah, defensively, he's, he's really good and that's great. Uh, but in terms of like what role he plays on a winning team, it's like the dude has to be on the ball, and he's not good enough on the ball to do that for a great team. Meanwhile, Levine also prefers to play on the ball, but his shooting ability gives him way more potential off the ball. It's also easier to hide, uh, you know, a bad defender, I think, than uh, especially a, a shooting guard than it is for people with some other weaknesses in their game. Uh, so I would take Levine. It's like you look at teams like the Sixers, you look at teams like the Rockets, like all those teams would probably take Zach Levine. I don't, I don't know what his contract like. Yeah, he, he is overpaid for sure. But I still think that like an athletic two guard who can rip threes off the catch and shoot can create off the dribble for himself. If you could just get him to play within a team concept, the talent's there. And you know, this is why I liked Levine, even going back to his days at UCLA when he was coming off the bench behind Steve Alford's fucking son, which was just shameful back then. It's like you could see the talent with Levine. I mean, uh, that you know that that shouldn't shock anyone that that he, he is capable of, like, you know, passing the eye test with flying colors. The stats haven't backed it up. Still only 23 years old. But uh, I would take Levine over Dunn. I'm going to say Chris Dunn is not the long-term point guard for the Chicago Bulls. I think they either let him go or he gets moved. And I think that, uh, you know, we've already heard rumors that the front office isn't in love with Dunn's fit. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with him in restricted free agency. Is he getting a deal comparable to Marcus Smart? Is he getting more than that? Is he getting less than that? Marcus Smart's contract was that for fifty million? Googling it right now. Marcus Smart signed a four-year, fifty-two million-dollar deal. So, yeah, and like no one's putting fucking Marcus Smart on the ball to initiate your offense. You know what I mean? So it's like done. Ultimately, his ceiling isn't going to be high enough unless he suddenly can extend his mid-range shooting to three-point range, which we just haven't seen any evidence of that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, just you mentioned, like the Levine can kind of be the just the more offensive versatility, just as an off on ball thing. And I feel like I feel like that's probably going to be something that the Bulls will need to figure out. And, and if Dunn does end up being, I guess, actually does end up being like a long term option. Like, I feel like Levine will definitely will will he be willing to shift into that off ball role to let Dunn be more of the on ball on ball initiator. I am curious to see how that works out. And, that, and that's something that like I mentioned. They're going to have to figure that out starting tonight. And hopefully, knock on wood, that the, all these guys can actually, actually stay healthy. So we can actually see that. Because like if we don't see that and if there's more injuries and stuff like that, it's just going to be really hard to figure out where, where they're going to go moving forward. Yep. I guess so now let's, we can take a quick look ahead before we wrap up here. I mentioned that they are playing the Wizards tonight. First start of the year for all their core guys together because of all these injuries. Uh, a game on the road. The Wizards have been. Uh, you talk about the Bulls being a dumpster fire. The Wizards are possibly on their level, if not even worse. Obviously, the expectations for the Wizards were much, much higher going into the year, and they've had just a ton of problems. They're terrible defensively. John Wall is 
a lot of people now think he's one of the worst contracts in the league. Still, obviously, really talented player, but they're sitting down at 13 and 22. They are nine and six at home, though, so they have played much better at home. This is a game the Wizards should probably win, but I feel like with them this year, just you really just have have had no idea what they're getting. So, I mean, this is a game where the Bulls should theoretically, possibly be competitive unless they just come unless the Wizards actually come out and play well at home and the Bulls continue to struggle with that chemistry but I I, I think that's this is gonna be an interesting game like I'm not like super excited to watch it or anything just because it's two just garbage teams but I think it'll be interesting to see how especially with these Bulls young guys coming together against a Wizards team where I feel like if the Wizards like lose to this awful Bulls team at home like I wonder if that's like will be the end of Scott Brooks. That that would drop them to thirteen and twenty three, like three losses in a row. They're they're already two and eight in their last ten games. Like I feel like I'm almost surprised Scotty Brooks is still there to begin with. But like, and they've kind of been teetering. They like they just traded for Trevor Ariza. There were rumors before that they might look to trade Waller Beal, but I mean it's it was still pretty early in the season. But I feel like they're like teetering on the edge of maybe possibly fully blowing that thing up. I totally agree. The Wizards are one of the few teams in the NBA who you could argue might be a bigger joke than the Bulls. I mean, the Bulls are just in a lot better position than the Wizards. There's no doubt about that. Like, Wall's contract hasn't even started yet, right? And he's going to be making north of $40 million a year. The Bulls, you know, it's been, it's been tough, but there are some, some good young pieces in place here. Hopefully they can add another one in the draft. And if they do add another one in the draft, you know, you're, you're going to start to see some fruits of this thing eventually, I think, uh, as early as next season, at least a little bit. Uh, and if they get Zion, suddenly the Bulls are looking really good because we know that what the value of a superstar is in the NBA. So For sure. And then uh, after the Wizards, so the last game of the new year, uh, or of the 2018 before the new year comes, is uh, at Toronto. So that's a great way to finish things off. That will have to assume that's unless guys sit for the Raptors, like, that will probably be a complete beatdown. The Raptors have been one of the best teams of the season. Uh, I think they're best team in the league. They're twenty six and ten. They have just so many good players. Kawhi has been an MVP candidate. Uh, they just have so many solid two way players. They just do so many things well. They they know their roles. Nick Nurse has been a great coach. I feel like we've uh, lauded Nick Nurse, tossed bouquets at him on this podcast before. Like he's been really great. So like. So that'll that'll be a real tough one to to end uh, the year of 2018, which I think just wants me to, or I want to uh, bring up the point where I've mentioned this on Twitter before, is that once the, that game happens, it is looking very likely that the Chicago Bulls will end the year 2018 with fewer wins than the Chicago Bears, which is absolutely hilarious. It's great for the Bears having an amazing season, going to be in the playoffs, going to host a home playoff game, but the fact that the Bulls they can the most games they could win in the for this season is uh is as be at eleven wins. The Bull, the Bears already have eleven wins, so they, they cannot get past them. You figure the Bulls will lose one of these next two. So Bears more wins in the twenty eighteen season than the Bulls had once the calendar turned to twenty nineteen, which is pretty fucking amazing. Are we doing a Bears episode of this podcast? I feel like we should do that. Or like would no one gives a shit because the Bulls are such an international fan base. Me and you are lifelong Chicagoans, so of course we are uh, you know, huge Bears fans as well. My family vacations when I was a kid used to be to Platteville, Wisconsin to watch Bears training camp in the 90s when the Bears were just garbage. So I'm super jacked about the Bears. I feel like we should do a Bears episode. <laughs> Tweet at us if that's a bad idea or if it's a good idea. Let us know. 
Yeah, it, w- it would be a lot of fun. Maybe we'll see. Like, uh, maybe for a playoff game, we'll do like half and half Bulls, Bears. Could be a lot of fun. Could be cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's all for me. Like I said, Bulls, Wizards coming up tonight, 6 o'clock Chicago time. Uh, we'll see how that game goes. Could be interesting. But uh, yeah, that's, that's all for us today. Like I said, uh, you can check us out. We're at, at a new home at, at Blue Wire Pods. You could still find us at all the same places. On iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify, Google Play, and all that fun stuff. But really excited for this opportunity. Shout out again to Kevin Jones for for uh, believing in us and giving us this chance to join Blue Wire and join all these other fun pods, NBA pods, and other all these other pods out there. So it'll be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Shout out to Blue Wire. Here we are. We're doing this thing. All right. Here we go. We're do, we're doing it. We're doing doing it big. All right. Well, for uh, for Jason, I'm Ricky. This has been Cash Considerations. Thanks for listening. Take it easy, guys. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.